the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This week, we have been focusing on John chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. The message is called, If I Be Lifted Up, Men Will Be Saved. We have seen the mode of man's desperate condition, illustrated here in John chapter 3, the remedy to man's problem and man's response of obedience, which is indeed a gift of grace. Well, as we'll see today, men will only believe when they hear and they will only comprehend when they see. And that leaves us with three looks that save the soul, the command to look, the continued look, and the consummate look. Join us. Here's Pastor Jessica Stand with today's broadcast of Way of Grace. Will y'all hear what I'm saying? Jesus must be preached. Jesus must be preached in all of his redemptive work, all of his offices, all of the clarity as to why he is the sinner's substitute. Like I told you last week, the most important word in your vocabulary in, in terms of the Bible is the word what? Substitute. For if Christ did not die for you, to hell you're going without a substitute. Now here, the serpent is on the pole. And we move to now point number uh, B, subpoint B, and I call this the Asclepian paradox. How many of you guys know this Asclepian par- paradox? Anybody know about Asclepius? Anybody? Nobody in the room? Y'all don't read nothing. Y'all just, y'all just don't read nothing. <laughs> Greek history, Latin history, uh, uh, pre-Christian uh, Greek philosophy would have quickly taught you that Asclepius was the god of healing. That Asclepius was the god of healing, and when you and I are looking at the medical emblem that underscores how healing takes place in the medical industry, you have the snake on the pole. Do you not? Pull up the image. Let me teach you something. Pull up the image. You got to see it. You have seen this with... They can get their kids later. Here we go. Leave it right there. I want to show you all three points before you can get it. This is what we call the Asclepian paradox, and this Asclepian paradox is how God works in our world to heal us of all kinds of diseases. Do you know that if you are bitten by a rattlesnake, that the only way you can be healed by virtue of the antidote is the poison of the the venom of the rattlesnake? If you're bitten by a cobra or any kind of poisonous animal, do you know that the antidote for healing you is the very venom of that poison? Do you guys know that? It can serve a whole lot of other purposes, but the point is this. It's a paradox that the very thing that you were afflicted by has to become the means by which you're healed. And so in the medical industry, they recognized that healing would take place by that man or that woman that knew how to find that antidote for the sickness in a human being. Back in the days of Plato, Socrates, Cicero, and others, they understood the philosophy of healing in relationship to the priesthood 
and the world of medicine. They were conflated. Some of y'all know that. And, and even in your Bible, we've taught you this before, that the job of the priest is to look upon the people to see what their condition is spiritually, determine whether they are healthy or sick. And if they were sick, they need to have a remedy given unto them that they might be whole in order to enter back into the community. So you see now Asclepius. This is the man up there with a stick, right? And the serpent around it. Because Asclepius was committed to healing and he knew that it had to engage this paradoxical world of, of uh, remedies and, and vaccines and, and medicines that were the direct derivative of the poison that people were dealing with. He knew that. Secondly, you see that second emblem with the two snakes on the brazen pole? Do you see that? The two snakes on the brazen pole with the wings on the top? That's because in your Bible, the term for this word serpent in Numbers 126 is the Hebrew word seraph, from which we get the term seraphim. And the seraphim are the flying angels in Isaiah chapter 6, where we see the holy cherubim, as it were, going holy, holy, holy. And that's because in the uh, oriental imagery of the wicked one, Satan, he actually is the prince of the power of the air. He is a flying snake. He is a, as it were, winged snake. Now we know this because we have the same terminology given at least twice in our Bibles in the book of Isaiah. I want to go to Isaiah chapter 14, verse 29. Just one mention, but there are several mentions of it. Isaiah chapter 14, are we there? Pull it up to Isaiah 14, 29. And notice the language. Here it is. Rejoice not thou Whole Palestinia, because the rod of him that smote thee is broken, for out of the serpent's root shall come forth a cockatrice. That's a baby snake, and his fruit shall be a what? Fiery flying serpent. That's oriental imagery that speaks to this reality that the enemy is swift in his attack against his foes. That the enemy is swift. That's why I don't like snakes at all. I just don't like snakes. Now, I know the idea of a flying snake is more of a mythical concept, but we actually do have snakes that glide. And if you will, just to teach you a little bit more before I press in deeply, the whole image of the winged snakes on the pole, going back to our image on the pole, where God tells Israel that in order for you to live, you're going to have to look at your sin. In order for you to live, you're going to have to own your sin. Are you guys with me so far? In order that you're going to live, you're going to have to admit that you're a hell-bound sinner. No access to heaven until you confess your sins. And so when they look at the snake, this brazen serpent, if you will, and particularly with the wings here, and they have them in different forms, Israel is reminded of where they came from, and that is Egypt. For in Egypt, the Pharaoh was viewed as a god. And one of the zoomorphisms that he conflated was the cobra. Because the hooded cobra gave the virtue of a snake being able to fly. And the hood of the pharaoh was the hood of a cobra. Are y'all with me? And so when God tells Moses to put a, 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 a brazen serpent up into the air, here's what God is saying. You have rejected me for Satan. You have abandoned me for the God of this world. You don't want the God that's taking you to Jerusalem. You want the gods of Egypt. That's exactly right. So in exposing them for their sins, God is rooting out of them this native drive for wanting to go back to their old principles. See, God's saving them. 
God's saving them. And when you actually are committed to biblical truth, that's the only way you can be saved. This is what I meant, again, by sound doctrine. You've got to have doctrine that goes deep down into you and explains all of the subtle deceptions that you and I walk in. Because daily, you're being deceived and you don't know it. And only the truth can set you free. Now we're going to move to our next point, sub-point, pulling back our PowerPoint, because I want to show you now what I am calling, and this is not new with me, an old sage, John Owens, wrote five volumes on the subject of the death of Christ on the cross. Our sub-point C, the death of sin in the death of Christ. Are you guys hearing me? The death of sin in the death of Christ. For as Moses lifted up the serpent uh, lifted up uh, the serpent on a pole in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The death of sin can only actually take place in the death of Christ. Please hear me now. Hear me now. If you and I are going to overcome our sin, if we're going to have a remedy for our sin, the only way that you and I are going to overcome our sin is in the death of Christ. For in the death of Christ is the only place where the death of sin can take place. Outside of Christ, sin will have a permanent victory. Only in Christ can sin be doomed. Only in Christ can sin be terminated. Only in Christ can the grounds of sin be dealt with. Can the cause of sin be dealt with. Can the the, the mortal enemy of sin be dealt with. Follow this now. The wages of sin is what? The reason is we have violated God's law, right? We have violated God's law, and in violating God's law, God must punish our sin, right? And either God's going to punish them in you or in a substitute. God's holy law must be satisfied. Do you agree with that? When you look at the lifted up Christ, when you look at the one that's on the cross, he is the one that is your sin bearer. He is your sin bearer. He reminds you of why you should be there and not him. He is the one that is telling you he is now bearing in his own body your sin. That's the paradox. There's someone actually bearing your sin for you, bearing the bite of the serpent for you, bearing the curse of the law for you, bearing the wrath of God for you. He's hanging on the cross. His name is Jesus. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When I look to the cross, I see sin doomed. I see it dead. I see it dormant. There's only one place that your sin cannot harm you, and that's in the death of Christ. The death of Christ. The death of Christ. This is a topic that needs to really be treated at length because the language of the New Testament is so absolutely clear. Peter said, in his own body, he bore our sin. That means God, in some magnificent way, took it off of you and put it on him. And then Paul said that God circumcised Christ. Do you know what circumcision is? Cutting away. He cut away the body of sin in his own body to separate it from us. Not only did he take my sin and put it on Christ, he cut Christ off. 
He cut my sin off in Christ. And then he went on to say, not only did he cut it off, he buried it, Brother Mac. Buried it. Buried my sin deep in the ground. Buried my sin in the ground. Do you see it? Buried my sin in the ground. And then he tells me in Colossians chapter 2, he abolished sin. Abolished sin. He nailed it to the cross. He took it away on the cross because the only way my sin could be dealt with is an eternal God bearing the eternal wrath of my eternal consequences of my one-time rebellion against a holy God. Only in Christ can sins be put away. And this is why Daniel chapter 9 verse 24 says, and when he comes, there will be an end of transgression. There will be an end of sin. There will be a reconciliation of the people and everlasting righteousness will be brought in. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you get it. The greatest miracle in the world was done when God transferred your sins to Christ and his righteousness to you. There is no greater miracle. There is no miracle that parts with this miracle. However, we must deal with it now. This is what we must deal with, the very explicit and clear conditions of John 3.16. Let's go back there. I'm going to finish up right here. Don't ever tell me God's love is unconditional. That means you don't know anything about love, and certainly not the love of God. So conditional is the love of God that before he created the world, he saw to it in the counsel of his mercy that one of the persons of the Godhead would be stretched wide and high in order to absorb in himself the violations of my transgressions against him. God couldn't love me unconditionally and still be holy. He had to love me on the condition of meeting his own standard of righteousness and justice, and he did it in the person of the son. The father said, hey, hey, I'm going to kill him. The son said, no, let me die for him. No, 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 let me die for him. Does anyone hear what I'm saying? The glory of the gospel is this. God met the conditions that we could never meet in order to know God in love and pardon and grace and mercy for all eternity. He met all the conditions. And in fact, according to the nature of God relative to his love, that is love. That is love. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave himself for us a propitiation for our sins. Watch this now. That we might live through him. Pull it up, 1 John 4, 9. It once again affirms as an adumbration what we're talking about. What is God's love in Christ? It's not the God so, 1 John chapter 4, 9, please. God so loved the world. Herein is the manifestation of God's love. Now, don't we want God's love manifested? Lord, show me your love. Manifest your love to me. Here it is. If in this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might what? Live through him. Life is only found in the one who could permanently and eternally put away your sins. The death of sin and the death of Christ. But going back to John 3.16, we close here. I want to deal with one more fundamental point. One more fundamental point. 
I'm going to skip point number three for now and move to point number four and show you, actually I'll, I'll, I'll articulate it and show you how critically important it is for you to never, never assert John 3.16 without saying John 3.16 comes with radically important conditions. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever what? Whosoever what? Whosoever what? Doesn't that sound like conditions? Does that sound like conditions? It is the essential condition by which the love of God is known in your life. If you believe, the love of God is yours. If you do not believe, you are under the wrath of God. You guys got that? You are under the wrath of God. Jesus made it very plain. Look at verse 17 and 18. Uh, For God sent not his son into the world to what? But that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but the one that is not believing is condemned already because he has not believed on the name of the Son of God. You guys see that? And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men will love what? They love darkness rather than light because their deeds were what? They were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hated the light. Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth the truth does what? Come to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. This is fundamentally point number three, subpoint A, subpoint B. Men will only believe when they what? Hear. Men will only comprehend when they what? See. Men will only believe when they hear, for faith comes by what? And hearing by what? And that kind of hearing will translate into seeing, as Jesus said in John 12, 31, if I be lifted up, I will what? Draw all men unto me. No one's coming to the Father but through the Son. But they can't come to the Son until the Son is lifted up, until Christ crucified is preached, until men and women are facing what God had to do in order that his love might be realized in the lives of men and women. Now let me share with you one more predicament, one more predicament, and I'm done. According to the numbers account, those sick people, those dying people, had but one imperative given them. One imperative, one commandment. How gracious God is. One commandment. See, this is why Jesus says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for my what? My yoke is easy and my what? My burden is light. This is a very uh, easy burden. This is a very light yoke, but it's impossible for you to do on your own. Stay with me now. I'm going to teach you something. God told them, whosoever looks upon the brazen serpent will live. Salvation is but a look. That's all it is. And it's a look, not with your physical eyes, but with the eyes of faith. The eyes of the heart. Are y'all hearing me? Now, now, now men have to start with the ears. That's why we don't have icons and images all over this place, because we worship God in what? Spirit and in truth. Icons and images and all that, all that's visible, empirical stuff, that'll distract you from the Word of God. When you come under propositional teaching and preaching, you are hearing. And that's where the Holy Ghost can begin to open your ears, right? The hearing ear and the seeing eye, who makes them? 
The Lord made them, right? That's what the Bible says, right? Proverbs 20, 12. The Lord makes the seeing eye and the hearing ear. And when you and I hear the gospel preached and the Spirit of God accompanies, accompanies it, guess what happens? Your eyes are opened. And in fact, here's the command as we close it down. Isaiah 45, verse 22, God says, Look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved, saith the Lord. It's a look. That is the look of conversion. That's the look of, of, of new birth. That's the look of faith. That when the Spirit of God is working to save you, He opens your eyes. For God has caused the light of the, glory, of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to shine in our hearts. Those of you who have seen Christ's glory, you know Him, don't you? You know him in his illuminating grace. Your heart is filled with a knowledge of Christ. Is that right? I see him by faith. Do you see him? Do you see Christ in his glory? I see him. Watch this now. That is what we call the initial work of transformation. But according to 2 Corinthians 3.18, your job and my job for the rest of our life is to keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep our eyes on Jesus, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, For we all with open face, what? The veil has been removed. Beholding as in a mirror. That mirror is your Bible. And in your Bible is a picture. And it ain't you. His name is Jesus. He is the hymn book that we read. And I want to see Jesus on every page of Scripture, don't you? I want to see him in Genesis. I want to see him in Exodus. I want to see him in Leviticus. I want to see him in Numbers. I want to see him in Deuteronomy. I want to see the Lord Jesus coming in the volume of the book because I know if I see him, my life is better. Because according to 2 Corinthians 3.18, I am being transformed by looking to Christ. Transform. I'm changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of God. Is that an amazing thing or what? Why are you so different? My face has been in the mirror. My face has been in the mirror, and I haven't seen myself. I've seen the Son of God, the King of glory, the crucified Christ, the lifted up one, God's seraphim, God's cherubim, the Lord of glory. And the reflection of his glory has impacted my soul. See, I'm not talking physical eyes. I'm talking the eyes of the heart. And therefore, God has opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they have heard and they have seen and they have believed. And ladies and gentlemen, here's my warning as we close. If you don't keep looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, who waits at the finish line for his people to usher them in. And I told this to you last week when our brother Stephen in Acts chapter 7, who had ran well, was being stoned and put to death. What did the Lord Jesus do? He got up off of his throne. He pulled the curtains back on glory and said, Stephen, look, look, I'm waiting on you, brother. Come on up, come on up. And Stephen says, I behold the heavens open." And Jesus at the right hand of the God of glory. And to those that look for him the second time, he's coming into this world, not with the matters of sin, but with the matters of getting his people out of this crazy place. And according to 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, and when he comes, we shall see him 
as he is, for we shall be just like him. On that day, permanent transformation takes place where the very God that I am looking like, I take on his full image, body and soul and mind and spirit and thoughts transform, quicken, glorified together with the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. One of these days, one of these days, one of these days, I'm going to look like the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to bust the heavens wide open and come get me. But my eyes must behold the King of glory. That'll conclude our time today here on Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastan, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. We thank you for spending time with us. Trust that as you do walk through God's Word with us, you're growing in grace, growing in your relationship with Christ and your love and adoration to Him. As we conclude our time together today, we would like to remind you that if today's broadcast was an impact to you, maybe it really blessed you, or maybe you've got a question or two that to listen to this program again would help out. Well, we have CDs available when you call or write to us, or if you wish, simply stop by our website and download the audio file from the website. Our web address is grace-bible.com. Rather simple. Again, grace-bible.com. Or contact us by phone at 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're writing to us, the address is 22768 Main Street. And that's here in Hayward. The zip code is 94541. Again, that's 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California. 94541 is the zip code. We ask for $5 per CD, or again, as mentioned, simply stop by our website and you can listen to the message in its entirety or download the MP3 version, grace-bible.com. One final note, we're inviting you to join us for worship. Sunday services are at 11 a.m. with Sunday school at 10 a.m. And then, of course, the Friday Bible study at 8 p.m. We'd love for you to stop by and join us for worship, especially if you're not involved in a fellowship at this time. And then, of course, the Friday Bible study. We have folks from all kinds of churches all over the Bay Area joining us at 8 p.m. It's a marvelous time of studying God's Word together as a company of believers. Again, for directions, simply go to grace-bible.com or call 510-886-9782. Thank you for joining us today, and until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.